0: Welcome to the Body Nerd Show, empowering you with the super uncomplicated things you need to know about self care and movement so that you too can wake up every day pain free. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and I'm a coach, writer, former yogi, kettlebell devotee, and 100% body nerd. So, are you ready? Let's get nerdy! Welcome back, you're listening to episode Thirty-seven of The Body Nerd Show. On today's episode, we're talking all things happiness, and specifically the science of happiness, how you can change your happiness set point, and the top six habits that'll increase your happiness levels right away. Now, before we get into the show, I want to remind you that show notes, fun links, free downloads, links to The Body Nerds Face Group, and pretty much all things live over at aewellness.com slash podcast. And I also want to say thank you for taking the time to listen today. It really means a lot to me, and I hope that you are getting some fun movement in today as you listen, or at least you got something planned on the horizon. So today's guest is happiness coach, Kim Strobel. And Kim and I met through a mastermind that I was a part in earlier this year. And right away, she and I just hit it off. She is a light in this world. She is just such a joy to be around. And as I got to know her, I was really surprised to know that she wasn't always that way. So she'll go way deeper into her story and her journey to becoming a happiness coach. But know that happiness is something that you can absolutely cultivate. So Kim Strobel is a happiness coach, a teacher, a consultant, a motivational speaker, aspiring author, and a mission-minded person. And she spent her childhood, teen, and young adult years dealing with panic attacks and crippling fear. And she'll tell us all about that in the interview. But she refused to let this diagnosis of seizure disorder and a full panic disorder derail her from her dreams. And she's a regular runner and actually inspired me when we recorded this episode. I had gone on my first run. And so hopefully the second run will be happening soon. Stay tuned. Uh, But Kim is a regular runner and finished the Boston marathon in 2012. She lives with her family of both the furry variety and the human variety in Indiana. I'm so excited to share this episode with you because as you probably can tell, if you've been listening here for a while, I'm normally a very upbeat person. So I've always wondered if it's possible for other people to change how optimistic and happy they are. And today, Kim is going to share exactly how you can. All right, today we are here with Kim Strobel, a Chief Happiness Officer, which I love so much and she'll describe a little bit more. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Body Nerd Show. We're gonna get nerdy about the brain and happiness and just joy, which I'm I'm really excited about. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I love, this is one of my favorite topics and I can't wait to dissect this with you. So thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, dissect, oh my gosh, already with the anatomy terms, like we're just gonna go for it. I love it. Awesome. Well, let's just start with the where I always like to start. What do you like to get nerdy about?
1: Oh, I love happiness research. So I have studied the topic of happiness for 20 years. And um, it's really my own challenges and adversities and trauma and suffering that I went through that really led me to that field. And I can talk a little bit about that if you want, but um, I got kind of catapulted into the self-help field 20 years ago. And just this whole idea that we are 100% responsible for creating our life. And so how do we do that when we have bad things happen to us sometimes, you know, what does that look like? And so for me, if you want to hear the story, I'm, I'm happy to tell oh, yeah, it. Go. <laughs> but I was always an anxious child growing up. I was just like, anxious you know I always I remember when I was in fifth grade it kind of started my parents wanted to take the children me and my two brothers to Disney World and I was like we can't go to Disney World like my brothers are gonna get lost or somebody's gonna take them and my mm. parents were like What is wrong? Like, what you are concerned about, you know? And I'm like, the only way I'm going to Disney World is if I can have like one of those leashes and I can attach it right to my (laughs) brothers and not even to my parents' wrists, but like to mine, my little fifth grade wrist, because (laughs) I need to be responsible for them, you know? And so. I just remember like my mom was like, this is not normal and let's get her to counseling. And so we went to Disney World and I was nervous about the whole thing. But I just feel like as I kind of got older, I was a super independent, you know, I played sports. I enjoyed life. But I did always have kind of these little things that would happen. And so when I was in middle school, um, it kind of manifested into if my dad wasn't home by 6pm every night, um, which is the time I knew he arrived home from his painting business, he was a house painter, that I would be in the bathroom, like throwing up and feeling sick. And my mind had convinced itself that my dad had like died on his way home or been in a terrible accident. And so I get in high school, Alex, and I start. Again, you know, I'm this vivacious kind of person, but I start having these episodes where I'm sitting in class and out of nowhere, within a split second, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I feel like the walls are caving in on me. Things around me look disoriented and confused. I have these feelings of like, I know who I am, but I don't know who I am. I know where I am, but I don't know where I am. And it was like this just feeling where I would literally get up from the desk and like flee from the class, like Mm. get out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And long story short, I spent the next probably eight years living in just terror of these episodes that we didn't know what they were coming on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what happened was All of a sudden I became fearful of everything because I couldn't know when the next episode was going to happen. It might happen at home. It might happen at Walmart. It might happen in the mall. It might happen when I'm out with friends. And so I started to really limit my life over the next eight years. And my life got so hard that I struggled to like leave my house. I struggled to walk to the mailbox. I struggled to drive to Walmart. And heaven's sakes, having to go in Walmart was Mm -hmm. a super, super challenging time. And Uh, I was a young woman. I was like 22 at the time. And I I really do have this bathroom floor moment where my husband at the time had just left for work. And so I would have to be at home by myself for like 20 minutes or so. And immediately I would start to get anxious because what if I have one of these attacks and how am I going to get help? And I don't know what's wrong with me. And I'm weak and you know, two-year-olds are functioning better than I am. They can go around the aisle at Walmart away from their mommy. And here I can't even make myself go in the store. And I'm a loser and I'm a failure and I'm pathetic and I'm inadequate. And so my husband had left and the panic, which we didn't know at the time, that's what it was, panic attacks, but it, would, it came on. And I just remember laying on like my forest green because, you know, back in the early 90s, forest <laughs> green were the colors to decorate with. Oh, Yeah. So, yeah, I had a four-screen bath mat, and I laid down, and, and I, I still to this day remember the feel of it against my cheek, and I really just pleaded with God to take my life. I mm-hmm. just had a conversation and said, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, every single minute of every day is a struggle for me, and I don't know why. I don't know if I'm crazy. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. All I know is I can't keep going. Like, that. I don't know what to do. And so... I do remember at that moment, just kind of receiving this message or invitation from the universe, or perhaps just something inside of me that kind of rose to the surface, which was just basically saying like, you're not done yet. Mm. You know, like this cannot be all there is. So Mm -hmm. get up off this bathroom floor and put your darn big girl panties back on Mm Mm-hmm. And let's get this figured out. And so I ended up going to my family doctor. And this is after like eight years of living in total shame of not understanding what was wrong with me. Yeah. And he said, Kim, uh, you have this thing called panic disorder. And he explained the whole thing to me. It was a fairly new uh, anxiety disorders were just kind of coming to the forefront and He said, you know, I'm going to put you on an antidepressant. The serotonin levels in your brain are not jumping over the synapse. And when you're having an episode, you are actually developing a fear of the fear Mm -hmm. because you're now fearful to feel the fear. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have this whole cognitive thing going on in your head that as soon as you feel any kind of symptom whatsoever that feels a little off kilter, your mind knows that this leads to um these attacks and so he put me on Zoloft and Alex I I it it completely changed my life. Mm. And so this is what I always tell people because I think for people who do not understand panic disorder or have never had a panic attack the best way I can describe it is if I were to kind of put you on a train track and I was going to tell you that a train was coming at you at like 300 miles per hour and that that train was going to stop 1 inch before it hits you like it's going to stop. Yeah. And and you're not in any danger. And I promise you you're 100% safe. And the train is going to stop, but it's going to stop one inch before it gets to your nose. So you know how you would feel your heart would have palpitations, your body would feel limp and numb, you would feel like you're going to be unconscious or faint, you would feel disoriented. It's that level of fear that people with panic disorder feel. But their brain doesn't have anything to attach that feeling to because it's not like they were almost hit by a train. It's not like I can go, oh, I felt like this because I was almost in a car accident or somebody was holding a knife to my neck. And so what happens from the brain chemistry and cognitive behavior therapy is your brain can no longer, it doesn't have something reasonable to attach the fear to, which leaves you extremely bewildered. Mm -hmm. because then you're like, this is not normal. Like there's nothing to be scared of, but it is 100% terror. you know?
0: Well, and even what you're saying too about, you know, changing your behavior to avoid that sensation, you know, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, like that happens too, you know? And we just decide to do less and less and less because I don't want to feel what that feels like. But like you're saying, like that's not a full life at all. No. And that's what I did. I just kept
1: putting one barrier, like now I can't go to Walmart. Now I can't drive. Now I can't stay at home by myself. And none of that worked. None of it worked. Like blocking myself off just made things worse. And so... You know, I always tell people, this is really how the happiness coach was birthed 20 years ago. It's because I got on Zoloft. I went to cognitive behavior therapy for a really long time. I had to work really hard. I mean, one of my homework assignments was, you're going to drive to Walmart and you're going to walk in the doors and you're going to go to the back of the store. You're going to touch the back wall and you're going to walk out. Mm -hmm. And and if somebody had said, or I can chop your right arm off, I would have been like, take it, you know, because like, that's how hard it is. Um, and so then I just, I just thought like, I have to figure out what I can do. And so I started reading everything I could get my hands on so that I could figure out what my personal responsibility was to also work my way out of this and really start to piece together a life and a health plan that, allowed this like super shiny inside part of me to be the real me because Mm -hmm. I felt like that disconnection, right? So like there's Kim who's independent, pretty positive, enthusiastic about life, but then she was plagued by this disorder that depressed her greatly and did Mm -hmm. not allow her to be the independent person that she really wanted to be. And so I started doing all the research and I worked my butt off. And even now, Alex, I had a relapse last fall Um, I always laugh that I was creating my women's online coaching program about, you know, how to really create a life that we love and how to increase our levels of happiness and joy. And the whole time I was having my worst relapse of panic disorder in 20 years.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, and I think as coaches too, you know, like we don't have it figured out. I still have soreness and tension and pain and like fall off the wagon with like mindfulness and like, but it's the practice, you know, absolutely. Which actually, when it comes to happiness, because, you know, you and I are super similar in that we're like very optimistic and upbeat people. Do you feel that happiness is something you're born with or can it be cultivated? So let me go all nerdy
1: on you right here with the research. Mm. So we all have what's called a set baseline happiness level. So mine might be at a certain level and perhaps yours is higher than mine. So what what that means is, Alex, is that you and I could go out and we could buy a new purse or a new pair of shoes or buy a new home or get married or any of these things. You buy a new house, get a new job. Um, and our happiness level would go up. a period of time but what we know is that it almost always resets back to your baseline or your default. Now what's really interesting about this is it is the same thing for when we endure really challenging things in our life. So we can get an illness or a disease or lose a loved one and the brain research comes back really strong that after a period of time our brain has this uncanny ability to reset itself back to your default. Mm. So for example, they did research around people who had been paralyzed in accidents and become paraplegics and it was something crazy between 18 months and 4 years almost all of the paraplegics went back to their baseline level of happiness before the accident.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about where that baseline comes from. You want to know where it comes from? Well, yeah, because I'm also thinking too about the people, you know, like you as well, like when your life is changed from an experience, like keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, so here's the deal, right?
1: With that particular thing, we can line up a hundred people, who have a diagnosis of cancer. Let's just throw something out there. Like, I don't know, they all have stage three breast cancer and we can line up a hundred people. And some of those people would go into deep depression for a really long time. And others might get down for a little bit, but they they would bounce back. They, they would find joy and happiness even within the illness. So we cannot just say that it's these external circumstances that drive our levels of happiness. It really is something that we have to take responsibility for. So when we're looking at that baseline happiness level or even just long-term happiness and we want to know where does it all come from... So the research says that 50% of your baseline happiness levels is genetic, Mm. okay? So it comes from your mom or your dad or a mixture of both. And many times when I'm like, I'm up on the stage and I'm delivering like a motivational talk to a thousand people and I will see so many heads drop like, I'm so rude, (laughs) (laughs) but we do know this to be true. It's like some people were born into this world with sunshine and butterflies and Mm -hmm. they, they can like handle stuff. And then there's others of us who have like every circumstance that was right in our life and we're still not happy. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like the same thing with, you know, some of us are born into a set of genetics that allows us to eat hostess cupcakes every night Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. gain any weight. And and then there's others of us that look at like one French fry and we pack on the pounds. Like there is a genetic disposition. And when you look around, you see it, right? You see people who just like can be in the same type of situation, but handling it so much better. And it really is just a genetic disposition. 50% of that is genetics. So stay with me though, because that's only 50%. Right. Okay. So if you're picturing this pie chart, The next two are really astounding to me. So, 10% and only 10% of your long term happiness comes from your external circumstances, Alex. Mm. And what I mean by that is how much money you make, Mm -hmm. what kind of car you drive, what kind of home you live in, if you have kids or you don't have kids, if you're married, single, widowed, or divorced, if you grew up with childhood trauma. Only 10% of our long-term happiness comes from our external circumstances, but you and I, and probably almost every other human being, we are all chasing that that 10%, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I know the research and I still think that if I had a lake house, my happiness levels would be higher.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If only. Right? And we do. We play the if
1: only game, right? Well, it
0: feels easier than doing the work. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so,
1: you know, we want to lay blame and say, well, I'd be happier if, okay, here's another one. Here's an external circumstance, Weight, right? Mm-hmm. Like we allow it to take up way more than 10% of the pie, mm-hmm. but your weight is an external circumstance. hmm
0: You know, actually, I was just talking about this today too, because I weighed myself for the first time in like, I don't know, three, four years. (laughs) I don't own a scale. My parents have one. I stepped on it and I weigh as much as my dad, pretty much. I think he has like eight pounds on me and I'm small. And according to the BMI of my weight and my height, I'm obese. And like, you've seen me in person. I'm not obese. No, you know, like weight, has no bearing on you or your health or your worth and like you're saying we give it like 200% of the pie even oh, though we it should be like 0.
1: And and we really yeah we play this if win game like if i lose 20 pounds then i'll be happy when i get married and find a loving partner i'll be happy when i can make 100k a year i'll be happy and so what happens is we play what i call the if win game which means that we are constantly putting happiness out there and saying we're tying happiness to an outcome or a goal. And what that does is that robs us of finding the happiness in the here and now, Mm -hmm. because the research shows Alex, if you have a goal of losing 20 pounds and you lose 20 pounds, here's what you need to know. You're going to lose the 20 pounds. It's going to feel good. And then within a couple of months, hedonic adaptation is going to take over. Hedonic uh, adaptation is how humans are wired. So, Because back in the cave days, our brains and bodies needed the ability to adapt easily to trauma and situations. So hedonic adaptation is that thing that happens like when you're out in the cold and you come in and you're so cold and you sit by the fire and the fire feels so good the first minute. And then all of a sudden it doesn't feel as good. So you move away from it. Mm -hmm. So your body gets used to it, right? And then Mm -hmm. you have to set another goal. So I'm used to the 20 pounds. All of a sudden, that's not enough. Now, if I lose 30 pounds, I'll be happy. Now, if I get this many plastic surgeries or this many botox injections you know what i mean like right, i don't yeah. shame anybody cuz what we we all do whatever we want i mean i just got my eyebrows tinted and you know mm-hmm. might not contribute to my long term happiness but i'm giving it done. right now you know? <laughs> yeah right and so i tell people that you need to be able to find your happy in the now so even though things aren't exactly the way that you want them to be if you can look through the lens of i can find the good things in my life right now while also reaching for a vision or a goal because it's good to have visions and goals. I just don't want people to tie their levels of happiness right now to those.
0: Yeah. So if 50% is genetic and then the 10% is the external, like what's the rest? Cause now I'm like, Oh my goodness, I'm putting so much into that external and it's been very uncomfortable because there's no, no like, um, satisfaction. And it never it, works, does it? No. It never works. It's no. like the definition of insanity. Like we yep. just keep
1: pushing forward. And then, yeah. So, okay, that's the part that has excited me the most. So that's the part that I teach and I love, which is regardless of your genetic disposition, regardless of your external circumstances, every single human being has the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. Mm. And that is done through our thoughts, Actions and behaviors mm-hmm. yeah, and so I tell people like i 'm a happiness coach, and I do think that when people around me are around me, they do feel that I have this contagious energy um, and enthusiasm for life but it, but it doesn 't mean that I am like sugar plums and unicorns and fairies all of the time, like <laughs> <laughs> right, like I have struggles, I get down, I get sad i you know, it's like not too long ago, my dear mom, I was like super stressed about a situation. And she was like, now, Kim, you're the happiness coach. And I was like, Mary Jo, this does not <laughs> mean that like I have to go through life like thinking everything is
0: wonderful all of the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, mom, I'm so good at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <but> what <laughs> But what I am, Alex, is I'm a happiness practitioner and I Mm. work at happiness every single day. And it takes Mm -hmm. time and it takes dedication and it takes discipline and it takes systems. So I always laugh because when I tell a crowd like, hey, who in here wants to live an exceptional life or who wants to increase their happiness levels by up to 40% and everybody's like raising their hand, me, 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 me. And so I'll tell them, I'll tell them what they can do to do that. And most of them will walk out of the room and never do one of them. So we want it, but we don't want to have to work for it.
0: Yeah, which I think too is the same. I mean, it's like any goal or any change. If you want to make a shift, you have to do the work. And you know, one of the things I talk about is if you're dealing with physical pain and you want to get stronger, like start with your posture. That's a really easy way to just change how you carry yourself. It will transfer to how you move throughout your day but you have to actually do it. I can't do it for you no matter what, you know? Yeah. Nothing that you and I teach, Alex, is complicated.
1: They're very simple things. What 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 is hard about them is making sure that you do them.
0: So what have you found to be like, what's the best? <laughs> we'll say, give us the best, oh. um, but also like how to get started. Okay. So here's what I want to do. So I'm going to tell you what I think
1: are the top six habits and then I'll go deep into one. How does that work? Okay. Sounds good. Because here's the deal. If I only give you one of the six, your people are going to be like, but what are the other five? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here are the top five things that we know contribute greatly to the 40%. So the first one is gratitude. And what I mean by this is a gratitude practice. If you can write down and you, d- you need to write it down, there's value between the brain hand connection where you can't just type it. You need to mm-hmm. write it. So go somewhere and get yourself a beautiful journal and a fancy smancy colored pen. And I tell people that I put the date in the top right hand corner and I write at the top. I am thankful. And the brain research says that if you write down three things that you're thankful for every day for 21 days, that you actually change the neural connections and the neural feedback loop in your brain.
0: Mm, That is so cool.
1: Yeah. Now it needs to be three different things. Okay. Three different things every day for 21 days. And you have already... Started to retrain your brain towards positive. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I do 10 just because I've been doing this for years. So, I do 10 things every day that I'm thankful for. And it might be like, I'm thankful that I saw a leaf fall from a tree. I'm thankful for the paved driveway that leads up to my house. I'm thankful that my husband made me laugh today. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that my dog gave me cuddles this morning. I'm thankful that my blankets kept me warm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. once you mm-hmm. start, you, your brain starts to. Scan your environment throughout the rest of the day and it begins to pick out everything that's right versus everything that's wrong.
0: Yeah. And that's so true. I mean, I did a whole episode on gratitude and the power of gratitude. So it's awesome to hear the science behind it too, because it has absolutely transformed exactly like you're saying. Your brain is looking for what's good instead of what's wrong. Yes, exactly. Okay. So gratitude is one. The
1: second one, and these are in no particular order, but is you're going to love this, Alex. Move your body. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta move your body physical exercise walking dancing yoga running stretching Pilates, you know any of these things what we know is that you need to move your body a minimum of 30 minutes a day and that doing that greatly enhances um, and it increases your baseline happiness level.
0: Mm. It also helps you get to 10,000 steps a day that 30 minutes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, okay. So gratitude, move your
1: body. Um, The third one is random acts of kindness. And so I tell people, these are little bitty things that I think I naturally do them now because they've been a part of my life. But for example, you know, I'm going to chit chat with the cashier lady at Walmart and ask her how long she's been there or the lady that was there, you'll get a kick out of this. So, A couple of weeks ago, a lady was checking me out and she was so fast. Now, if you have panic disorder, not that Walmart's the hardest thing for me right now, but like you (laughs) appreciate the lady who's like checking you out super fast so you can get the heck out of there. (laughs) (laughs) But I was just like, I just want you to know you're super efficient at your job. I appreciate you. And she started to get tears in her eyes and she said, I've been working 20 years and nobody's ever said that to me. Mm. Um, So this is a smile or a compliment or a kindness. And what happens is it has a ripple effect. And what we know is that when we perform the random act of kindness to someone, that it's actually us that gets more from that than even them. And it's so simple. Yeah, it really is. And it just becomes your nature. It's just a positive way of being in your life and contributing to the world at large. Okay. And so then the fourth one is meditation. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So having a really Just time every day to sit and create a little bit of space is huge. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to tell you, I am a happiness practitioner and I pretty much have these five happiness habits going in my life. They're just a daily part of my life. But Alex, I have struggled for the last nine months with like I dropped my meditation practice And I am so busy. Work is going crazy. And I tell myself I don't have time. But if I actually created the time, I would be way more productive in my work life.
0: Mm -hmm. Isn't there that like, is it the Buddha or someone said like, if you don't have time to meditate, meditate for an hour or something like that? Have you ever heard that (laughs) quote? I do. Yeah, because um, actually, some, I, I'm doing Eckhart Tolle's
1: class right now, which is like being more mindful and present in your life. Mm-hmm. And and his wife, Kim Ng, does a lot of the meditations. So I have been committed to that the last week. And she says, you know, that now we have these apps that let you meditate for like 3 minutes and she's like what happened to the buddha who
0: was like at least meditate for an hour you know yeah well yeah. and i only sit for 10 minutes a day but and i also one of the things that i found to be helpful as a recovering always perfectionist is to have and i love that you've laid it out for us too is to have like a toolbox Of things I do as part of my morning routine or you know my happiness routine, and I pull out what I need for that day. And it's okay if I don't meditate every day. Yeah, like it's still beneficial to just do it once or twice, maybe three times. That's more beneficial than zero times and just being like, oh, I can't even get started.
1: You know what? And I think that's where we we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace. I mean, do I? gratitude 360 days a year no I'm gonna guess that I fall in somewhere at five times a week for some reason on Saturday and Sunday I get out of my normal routine of waking up going out to my deck opening my journal jotting my 10 gratitudes jotting my 10 affirmations I just get out of routine on the weekend yeah and so it's not a big deal like that's the other thing is we as women especially think we have to do all of this perfect and Yes, there's advantages, right, to having a strong discipline, but like, let's also give ourselves a little bit of grace. I mean, sometimes we cop out because we don't do it perfectly.
0: Yeah, it still works, even if it's not perfect.
1: Yeah, 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 it totally does. And so let me give you a couple of apps, too, for people who might be like, hey, how can I, you know, how can I get started on meditation? So one that I really love is Deepak Chopra he has an app called Ananda. Mm -hmm. And I really like it because you can set it for like three minutes, seven minutes, 27 minutes, whatever it might be. But he will like have a focus. So like today's might be on abundance and then he'll talk for two or three minutes about the importance of abundance in our life. And then he goes into like the soft music and the quiet time. So I think it's kind of nice when you have like a little bit of teaching.
0: Yeah. Oh, and at the beginning too. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like eight
1: ninety nine a month. I know Headspace is another one. So yeah, there's things out there like apps that can really help us as well. And so, yeah. Yeah. I,
0: I've talked about Calm before because I use the Calm app, but yes. their daily meditation, it's 10 minutes. The teaching comes maybe 75% of the way through. And I actually have found meditation to be more, I want to say interesting, but I'm more willing to do it, more likely to do it if I have a question at the beginning. Oh, right. You know? So yeah. I've been doing a lot of my own meditation. Like today, it was like, you know, I want to be more on top with my spirituality. Mm-hmm. And then for 10 minutes, like all these cool ideas came. And also today, including this conversation, like awesome, wonderful things have happened all throughout the day. Because um, you set your intention. Mm-hmm. And, and so even that, just like if you have a question you need answers to, where you're just like, I want to find more joy today. I want to find more peace or yeah, just... Who
1: am I? Yeah. Who am I? That was mine yesterday. Who am yeah. I? Because mm-hmm. I'm way more than a happiness coach. I'm way more than a mom. I'm way more than a wife. Like,
0: who am I at the deepest core of who I am who Which am I? then you have to sit there for 30 minutes because how could you get it yeah. done in three <laughs> yeah, right. he was gonna, yeah we're not going to solve that in one sit down and right I'm done great okay next <laughs> well and you've even done some deeper studies into meditation too right oh yes I mean I just
1: think there's so many positive effects on the brain and what it actually does to help us. So I think here's where meditation has helped me is I still have struggles. I still fall down. But what I have noticed, Alex, after incorporating and living these is I... I don't stay down for as long as I used to. And I think it's a mixture of things like the meditation actually changes the chemicals in your brain. It develops some space where you have some resiliency. It allows your cortisol levels to not fire so quickly, your adrenaline levels. All of these things are actually changing in the way that your body systems take in process and externalize information. So there's a ton of help, but you know, like I said, I noticed that I slipped and that's why I enrolled in Eckhart Tolle's course because I, I'm really good at the doing part of things, mm. Alex, and I'm not so good at the mm, being, same. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that's my work. And that's one of the things, you know, like I'm always being coached by someone. Aren't you Alex? Like we're coaches, but we're oh, being yeah, coached absolutely. too.
0: Well, you always need somebody outside of your brain, To be able to ask better questions, to help make connections where you're not seeing them, it's critical.
1: It is. I mean, I think that that is what makes us outliers is that we've not been afraid to invest in ourselves through accountability and outside help and experts that continue to help us be accountable to taking these small little right actions so that we are showing up as the best version of ourselves. I think that's really important. So, okay, let me give you the fifth habit. I don't wanna lose our people too much. Go, keep going. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the fifth habit is social connections, which is relationships, which is making some quality time, quality time with your partner, quality time with your friends quality time with people. And I'm not gonna lie, I do better now than I used to with that because I was kind of one of these um workhorses and it would get to like Friday night and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to have drinks with my girlfriends. Like I just want to lay on the couch, you know? And I just wouldn't make time for it. But When you give yourself these little reprieves and you have these social connections, it really does contribute to your long-term happiness levels and it really does kind of recalibrate you. So really having time, I know my husband and I try to take time every evening just to sit down with a cup of tea. We don't always do it, but to just sit down and have a conversation and have that emotional intimacy you know, so those are the top five, uh, research-based ones. And then Kim Strobel throws a sixth one in there.
0: (laughs) Those are all so, so great though. And also like really easily actionable right now, you know, you can listen to this episode and then like do one of them for sure.
1: Yeah. One of them. And that's what I want. I tell people like, I'm a practical coach. You choose one and I want you to stick with that one for 21 days. Then I want you to add another Like you don't think you're going to walk away and do all five of them because that sets you up for failure. So choose one or two if you're super motivated and then just look at this as something that you continue to chip away at and add more to your, you know, your habits. I always tell people I'm a happiness practitioner. I am not a guru. I am a practitioner of happiness and it's a discipline and it's an intentional part of my life. I love that. All right. So the sixth one is Mm self-care. I love it. Tell me more. Now, I was going to tell you what, women are not so Mm -hmm. good at this, okay? I never have to coach men on (laughs) self-care strategies. (laughs) They're like, you know what? I play golf every Thursday with my guy friends. We go have a beer at the bar, like, you know, but my wife, oh, Lord, she needs a happiness coach. She, you know, (laughs) she's struggling, right? Because I think for women, you know, we have generations of women before us who never knew that it was okay to put themselves first some of the mm-hmm. time. And so I always tell women and a lot of people I work with are mothers who are just completely strung out, right? I love this quote that says women are expected to raise children as if they don't have a career and they are expected to have a career as if they don't have mm-hmm. children. And this is why they're burned out and so stressed out and they're like, you know, this isn't how I wanted to be. I I I didn't think I was going to have to give up all of my dreams just you know, when I became a mom or when I, you know, was married. Um, And by the way, I do have to throw this in there. And I'm a mother and it's the biggest gift of my life. You are not a mother, right, Alex?
0: Well, not of human children, of furry four-legged children. But yeah, yeah, no, I
1: don't have kids. (laughs) So here's the happiness research. The happiness research actually says that when you become a parent, your happiness levels do drop just a I little bit.
0: Heard that. I have heard that. That's <laughs> definitely the re- conversations my husband and I have had. <laughs> right?
1: Because you're stressed out for the rest of your life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, joy. I can't wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, really, I always tell women, you are not selfish for putting yourself first. In fact... I believe that it is one of the best things you can do for yourself and for everyone around you. But really, that comes down to self-love, right? Mm -hmm. And so I love myself enough to know what it really takes for me to feel good, Alex. And and maybe it takes more than what you need. I don't know. I mean, personally, I need to work out six out of seven days a week. I need to get a massage every Friday night. I need to have time to, you know, relax and read and take hot baths. And maybe, Alex, you don't need that much self-care to feel good. But here's what I say, it doesn't matter. We don't have to compare either, right? Like, oh, I'm so high maintenance compared to this woman. She seems so content and I need more. It is about finding out what you need and what keeps your reservoir full. And I tell women all of the time, we've got to do this. Like you are your biggest asset. And if you're not filling that up, you are navigating the world with anger and resentment and pissed offness. And so start filling your life up with more pleasure.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, 100%. I could not agree more because I think it's so easy to, oh, I don't have time or, you know, it's not really that bad. But our time here is limited. And if you have dreams and you have goals and you have people who rely on you or people that you rely on that you need to show up for, like, I don't want to say it's your duty, but like, why not show up at 100%? You know, and that's where self-care allows you to do that. Yeah, you, you know, you
1: are a better parent when you give yourself time away from your children to fill up your reservoir. I mean, I tell moms all of the time and I know it sounds hardcore, but if you can't find one hour in 24, that's just for you, then I think you have a problem. Mm -hmm. I do. And so start out with 15 minutes. If you don't have any, start out with 15 and then week two, take it to 30. But this kind of whole like mommy martyrdom that has been going on for decades and decades, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, my job is to take care of everybody else's needs. And if there's anything left, then I can take from the reservoir. That has not served women well. Um, (laughs) You know, we have a lot of women who are angry and resentful because they never knew that they counted even when they were raising children. They didn't know that they counted too, um, So I really encourage women to step out there and start to really take their self-care um, and put it at the forefront. I mean, my husband and I laugh about this now, but I remember this really big argument we got into one time and he thought he was going to really you know, stoke the fire. And he's like, you know how it is around here, Kim, I'll tell you how it is. <laughs> he's like, you know, first it's the kids and then it's you. And, and then it's the dogs that come next. And then it's your parents. And then it finally, you know, it's me. And I was like, you know what, Scott Strobel, you got that wrong because I'm actually at the top of that pyramid. Mm-hmm. I come first some of the time. And then I lied to him and told him that he really does come for the dogs. dogs.
0: <laughs> I hope he's not listening. <laughs> no, nah, nah.
1: He knows better.
0: But um,
1: but I was actually kind of proud to stand, stand on that mountain to not have any shame around I get to come first. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna you're right. I'm gonna take care of me. Cause you know what? I'm I'm a way better wife when I mm-hmm. take care of me. Mm-hmm. I'm a way better mama. I'm a way better friend. But the most important thing, Alex, is I'm just a way better Kim. Mm
0: -hmm. I matter. I Mm -hmm. matter in this equation, you know? Yeah. And also too, just of modeling for your family and, you know, for your kids, I can just imagine, you know, because we, as humans, we learn by osmosis, we do what others are doing around us. And so, if you're still thinking like, oh, I just, I don't have time. I have to do all this stuff. It's almost like you don't have no time, (laughs) you know, like you have to. Right. I mean, I told a
1: young mother recently, she came to me and she started to cry and she just said, you know, I have two beautiful girls. They're two and three years old. And she said, I have a nice husband and we both have jobs and I have every reason to be happy. And then she started to cry and she said, I know I just need to suck it up, Kim. I know that This is how it's going to be for 18 years. And she went through her day, you know, everything she does in a day from the time she wakes up at 5.30 and starts getting the girls' backpacks for the sitter packed, And then she wakes the girls up and she feeds them breakfast and she gets them loaded in the car and she drives them to daycare. And then she goes to work and then she gets off at lunch. She has a 45-minute lunch and she pays the bills and does the Walmart and Target shopping. Then she comes back to work, you know, and she works till five. And then she said, I go grab the girls and I get them home and I get them situated and I start getting supper prepared and my husband comes home and we have dinner and then it's cleanup time and it's get the girls ready for bedtime. And, and she just started to cry. And she said, and then I wake up the next day and I, I just do it all again, Kim. And I just didn't know it would be like this. And I said, Madeline, when's the last time you took time for yourself? And she said, I didn't know I was allowed to. Mm. And I said two things here, Madeline. I said, what you're modeling to those two girls is one thing that you're modeling is mommy martyrdom. And I said, we were raised with wonderful, beautiful moms and grandmothers who the social acceptance was that that is all we do is take care of others. And I said, that has not served those women well. And so we don't want you to be a happy parent after the kids have grown and left the house. We want you to be a happy parent now. And so being this woman who has just thought that she was supposed to give her life up for the next 18 years, I was like, Madeline, you you count because you are more than a mother. And I said, the second thing is, do you want these two girls to be your age someday and have families of their own and know that they have the permission to take care of themselves? And they have that permission because they were raised with a mom who loved herself enough to know and show those girls that she counted even Mm -hmm. while she was raising them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she really kind of had this like, I never thought about what I was modeling to my girls.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I mean, like Spencer told me recently, he's my 19 year old in college. And he called me from IU the other day and we were having this conversation. And he said, you know, mom, my friends are just always telling me like, like you have just that, like your mom is just happy. She's just happy so much of the time. And Spencer was like, you are mom. He goes, but I told him, though, I told him you can lose your shit sometimes, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's all facade, okay, guys? (laughs) Yeah, right? But I said, here's the deal. Like, our
1: kids don't want a perfect mom. They -hmm. just, they want a happy mom, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's what counts. And so the way that this mom is happy is by making sure that she gives herself a lot of tender, loving care in the week.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and... You know, I just, I love this conversation so much because I do talk a lot about the body, but also body, mind, and spirit are equally important. And especially if you've been like focusing completely on the body and like trying to resolve, you know, pain or soreness or tension or whatever it is, and nothing seems to be working. It's probably because the mind and the spirit, and now I'm going to tie in happiness to this as well, is lacking yeah, it I mean, you're right. That's what the science shows us, right? Like, if you
1: you were talking earlier in this episode about how we prevent ourselves from actually feeling pain mm-hmm. or dealing with tough negative emotions mm-hmm. and And I know that you know this being the expert that you are, that when you, block out those feelings, whatever it is that you need to allow yourself to feel pain or grief, that it will manifest itself as disease or pain in Mm -hmm. the body. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. It's like, let's get our spiritual world and our mental emotional world. That's as important as the physical body and its ability to function the way we need it to as well. You know this, you teach this all of the time.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm super grateful now to have more tools for happiness cultivation. Yeah. I love it. Have the happiness cultivation movement. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I have wondered too, for like myself, cause I am a, you know, very happy person, but also allowing space for all ranges of emotions, which as an optimistic person can sometimes be I won't say scary, but it's just like, oh, what is this feeling? Like, why am I feeling so disappointed? And I don't like this. Like, let me get out of it as quickly as possible. But allowing yourself to be fully within all of it.
1: Yeah. You know, that's, I think I probably need to say this to your audience too. So I think we have a problem right now with a culture of positivity, which is we now tell people to not feel their negative emotion and just think positively. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we say, just be positive. Alex, quit complaining. Just be positive. Look at the bright side. So, yeah. And that is like so wrong because what we're basically saying is don't have your feelings, Alex. If they're negative, don't have them. Don't feel them. Well, here's the deal. A feeling is a feeling. It's not right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's a feeling. And so when we tell you don't feel that negative emotion and instead flip over here to the positive side, that doesn't work. And so what we actually need to do is feel the negative emotion. I'm kind of like you, Alex, if I start to feel a little bit down, I'm like, oh my gosh, is this what depression looks like? Like, am I getting depressed, you know, you know, because I think that we are maybe both wired and and me is a lot of the work I've done, but. Wired to feel certain levels of happiness each and every day, and so when we start to feel a negative emotion, it's really uncomfortable for us as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we do things like this. So I caught myself, I actually had to get coached by my coach a couple of weeks ago because I started getting this really crazy mindset being a catastrophicizer and being someone who has an anxiety disorder. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, my, my business is never going to work and it's been too good for too long and it's all going to fail <laughs> and I'm going to crash and burn. And so what did I do? I didn't let myself feel those emotions. I got up at five 30 and I sat in my office and I cranked out an 18 hour work day. Cause I was like, mm. oh, right. And so like what I did was didn't let myself have the emotion and instead like put your head to the grindstone, Kim, and let's just do this and just let's keep work pushing her. Yeah. And what I needed to do was like, give myself some kindness and some compassion and feel those ugly feelings, not try to push them away. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do with social media, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're like, um, oh, I don't want to feel like this. So let me go over here and scroll social media for the next 30 minutes because it's way easier than feeling my feeling.
0: Mm. That is too true. I feel personally attacked right now. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, me too, girl. I am with you. It's like something It's hard that I'm working on in my office and then I pick up my phone and start scrolling because mm-hmm. it's easier. I check out then I don't have to feel the uncomfortableness. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I just happiness coached you, Miss Alex. I know. I know. Well, I know we could go on for hours and hours because I have, ugh, I mean, it's just, it's so cool to know that really, truly everything and anything can be shifted, right? Yeah. Your thoughts, your behaviors, your actions, how you feel and how you think affects how you feel. So like, yeah. if you feel like the physical stuff is like just not clicking for you today, start here. Start with yes. one of the things that you've shared with us today because they were so Absolutely.
1: awesome. Thank you so much. I love this topic as well.
0: Yeah, so where can people find you on the internet and come? Okay, and yep. So I have a free Facebook
1: group for women and it's called She Finds Joy. And so- I show up every week. I do live happiness trainings. We talk about hard things and struggles and how to overcome them. And we also talk about inspiration and playing in the arena of bigness and how to show up fully for our lives. And so, yeah, you can just search on Facebook, She Finds Joy. And I also have a website, kimstrobel.com. So either one of those is a great place to connect with me.
0: And you have a podcast coming very soon. Oh my gosh, Alex, I do. Look at you. You had to cue me on that, girl. (laughs) Yes. So launching November
1: 20th is the She Finds Joy podcast. Yeah. So the tagline of that is unleash your happiness one daring day at a time. I love that. And I can't wait for it.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time and sharing your wisdom with us. I'm going to go get happy.
1: (laughs) It's my pleasure. Thank you, Alex.
0: Aren't you just happier from listening to that episode? I know when I got off the call with Kim, I was so inspired and really doubled down on my efforts to do all of the habits that she shared with us. So, I want to know what's the top habit that you learned today that you're going to implement into your daily life. So you can send me or Kim a DM or tag us on Instagram and let us know how you're actively going to take steps towards increasing your happiness. And if you want, you can even call the body nerd hotline at 818-396-6501. I'll drop that number down into the show notes so you can just click it and call from there. So here's to asking better questions, moving more, staying happy, and getting nerdy. Thank you again for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and you can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Listen, friend, we both know that you are not you when you're in pain. But the good news is you can change the unchangeable. Even if it seems like it's been forever, life without pain is 100% possible. And I can help you get there faster. Head on over to bodynerdshow.com and download the Body Freedom Assessment. You'll answer a few questions and then you'll know exactly what your next steps towards more days of awesome should be. It doesn't have to be complicated and it won't even take you more than 15 minutes a day.